Are you giving everything you've got just to get by? Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, welcome into a brand new year. Welcome to 2019. Hey, this is Dan Miller. You're listening to 48 Days Radio. You know, you may be wondering why 48 Days, if you're a new listener, if you haven't been around for a while. Well, 48 Days came out of my frustration in working with people who were clearly unhappy with where they were. We would map out options. We'd create plan of action for them. And then I'd run into them a year later and they hadn't done anything. And I'm like, what's up with this? So I wanted to create a timeline in which I thought it was reasonable to make those decisions about where you want to move to, what kind of, what would be success. And then a timeline to evaluate your options, get the advice and opinion of other people, choose the best one and act. That is where 48 days came from. Now, not scientific, but it's a model that has worked, that has inspired lots and lots of people, and I continue to promote it. 48 days is enough time to do exactly that. So that's why it's 48 days. So you'll hear references to that frequently in working with people. You'll hear stories today from people who took less than 48 days to go through that process, make a new decision, and act. Principles, of course, are drawn from 48 Days to the Work You Love book, which is now in its 10th anniversary edition, but uh, still out there, principles are being used by lots of people today. Well, here's some of the things we're going to be looking at today. We've got some new ideas for the Eagles $1,000 business loans. I've been talking about that. Got some updates, some great ideas from people. I want to share a few of those. Somebody says, Dan, how should I respond to the what is your salary requirement? And somebody wants to know, I'm doing much more work than my coworker, but we get paid the same. What should I do? When do you suggest I start the process of hiring a coach? I'm now scared I've set myself up for the wrong field of work. That's interesting. And then if we have time, we're going to get to one that says, how do I get rights back from a publisher that's no longer in business? Important question for a lot of you who are writers will address that. So our quotation for today comes from Henry Ford, who said, you cannot build a reputation on what you're going to do. Meaning telling people what you're going to do right here at the first of the year. A lot of you have announced, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make more money. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to travel to Europe. I'm going to go to Hawaii, whatever it is. But until you do it, your life doesn't really change. So make sure you got a plan to execute, to get into the game. So our call to action then is give your all, not just to get by, but to change the world. Now you hear people talk about that they're just getting by. You know, they're working 50 hours a week, 60 hours a week or whatever. They're just getting by. And they use that terminology. What if instead you said, I'm going to give everything I've got to change the world. I'm going to rock the world. Now, it's just a difference in how you frame what it is you're already doing. You're going to, you, you may not have anything more that you can give, but instead of verbalizing that you're just getting by, just change the terminology to say, yeah, I'm working my fanny off, but I'm going to change the world. And here's why. 
Now, we've got a story about a dad leaving $20 bills at his daughter's house. I want to share. We had a story about a young Walmart cashier paying the grocery bill for a struggling mom and what happened as a result of that. Got an update on a Black Hawk helicopter pilot who wrote in to us a couple weeks ago. And I want to give you an update on what he's doing. So those are the kind of things we're going to be covering. I've got a free resource for you. This is a resource for today. You can go to 48days.com slash why, but here's what you're going to get. You know, understanding who you are, what opportunities are out there is the first step toward creating the future you're excited about. So you can get my 11 page workbook. Who are you and why are you here? So you just work through that to identify who are you? Why are you here? One of those critical philosophical kind of questions to get focused on. Why am I here? But again, just go to 48days.com slash why you'll find it there. Well, we got some good news, got lots of good news things. This comes from Mark, who wrote in, says, longtime listener and fan, first time to write. I loved your idea. Oh, you know what? I'm going to share. These are a few of the comments from listeners about this $1,000 micro loan that we've been talking about that we want to make available for Eagles members. This is 48daysEagles.com, the, the member community there that's growing, having a lot of excitement, a lot of things happening there. But we talked about the idea um, a few weeks ago. I put a post up and I said, what would you do if you had $1,000 to invest in your business? Well, you had some great ideas. And then the next step was obviously, gee, how hard can it be to come up with $1,000? Why don't we come up with some creative ways to have $1,000 available for these people who really could change the world if they had that little bit of investment to put into their business? So we've been talking about how can we do that? How can we come up with multiple $1,000 to give? Should it be a grant where we just give it to somebody or should it be a loan where they're expected to repay? Well, we're looking at both models of that. Frankly, we don't have a set formula at this point. We're still gathering input. Obviously, if it were had the ability to refund itself, meaning if people got it, then they repaid it. We'd be able to do that for a lot more people than if we just gave it as a grant. End of story. And there's more accountability, you know, and people are really responding to that. So these are some ideas, some quick ideas that people are giving us. And we're compiling all the ideas that are coming in and we're going to create some kind of a plan for how we're going to do this. So Mark says, I loved your idea about having a fund for Eagles members to be able to borrow from even better. Your desire to figure out how to make it grow. One thought I had as a listener and supporter of several podcasts, I contributed a token amount to a couple of those through Patreon. Could a Patreon like system work for people to add a little to the pot each month? It's not much necessarily, but it's consistent and a great reminder to me that I value the content those are creating and it's a nudge to check in if I've been away for a while. My only hesitation or difficulty with this is due to my inner Dave Ramsey. He's on my shoulder saying the borrower is slave to the lender. So the implication there, and we got this from a lot of people who are Dave Ramsey followers, you know, should we really make a loan? If we, if we have a loan, then somebody has borrowed money and then they have the obligation to repay that. I know that's a valid issue, but when we look at the success of microloans, and I've talked a lot about what I've done with Kiva kiva.org, K-I-V-A, the organization that has provided microloans for people around the world. And we see how it has launched hundreds of thousands of businesses, profitable ventures for people, just giving them a little bit at the front end for materials, inventory, 
computer program, whatever it is they need to get up and running, where then they do repay that and go on to be very successful. There's certainly a merit in that. You know, we're not talking about obligating somebody to a small business loan for $250,000. We're talking about just an initial seed capital. And also with that, then the accountability, the responsibility to pay that back so that we can do the same thing for somebody else. So I, I respect the people who are sensitive to that. I am as well. We don't want to create slaves to the lender by any means at all, but we're just exploring at this point how this could be done. So uh, Mark suggested Patreon, which is a legitimate kind of program where people just donate and you can, you know, people have podcasts where they do that. People just donate money periodically because they enjoy the content. Dale says, as a group effort, how could we create a list of ideas how to earn $1,000 as a side hustle in a week or 48 days? And he quotes Daniel Burnham, make no small goals. They have no magic to stir men's souls that I love so much. So we just create a group effort and just challenge people. How could you create $1,000? What could you do? Maybe it's just selling things out of your attic or out of your garage on eBay. You know, maybe there's something else you could provide a delivery service in town or wash windows or rake leaves, whatever it happens to be. What could you do to create $1,000? So I like that as well. Andrea says, uh, we wanted to write in about the ideas. You could give the participants six months to pay it back. If they didn't, you could bill their credit card monthly. Uh, the downfall, they could cancel their credit card and the debt would not be paid. If you did the above, you can have a repayment status tracking pie chart or graph online with the 40 days group. The recipients and other members could see repayment process. That's very much like the Akiva process. I mean, you can see exactly what somebody has repaid. So if they got $50 to buy new tools to be a, an auto mechanic, you can see exactly what they repaid. I get monthly reports from people who I've made those little loans to along with other people. So if somebody got $600 total and I put in $25 in that, I'm going to see that, you know, um, Jose repaid $1.38 this month or whatever it is. Um, and she asked, is this going to be for Eagles members only? Yeah, it is. I mean, it's going to be as a, a bonus for being part of the 48 Days Eagles community and certainly confined to that. Paul says, here's a thought for growing money to be used for the microloans you discussed. I wonder how many Eagles would be willing to contribute a few dollars each month above and beyond their membership fee to fund the account. A monthly com contribution of $5 from 100 Eagles would grow the fund by $500 a month. I haven't yet listened to this week's podcast, so maybe someone has already mentioned this. Eager to hear how you'll be able to put this all together. Paul from Russellville, Kentucky. Well, thanks for your input on that. Our advisory team for the 48 Days Eagles is looking at every idea coming in. And we're looking at ways to put this together. We'll certainly experiment. It may not be perfect first time around, but we're going to experiment with how we can do this so that we can accelerate the success of some people and hopefully from more than just one or two. I mean, that's the process. That's the, the reason behind wanting to grow a fund rather than just giving an award. I mean, we could give an award once in a month, once a month as an example, but then that's just one person a month being helped. I'd love for that to grow where we can help five or 10 people a month. So that's the incentive behind how can we grow this fund? So thanks for your continued input on that. And again, if you got input, 
Just shoot it to askdan at 48days.com using the same dedicated email box that we use for questions for the podcast here for input on that as well. Askdan at 48days.com. Now we got some good news here. As always, this comes from Scott in Denver. Love your show. Thanks very much for providing the service week in and out. I'm just wrapping up a great 2018 Owe you a bit of kudos. I've been in a work-to-business ownership mastermind for over three years that was spun out of 48days.net, our old online community. And just this year, I purchased the company I used to work for. Golly, that's cool. There have been many challenges in my transition to business owner, and I couldn't have done it without the resources and assistance of those in the 48days community. Your podcast episode, Forget Your Dreams, Go Back to Milking Cows, was especially inspirational to me. Well, thanks, Scott, for the update. I mean, what a cool thing. Work for a company and you end up buying a company. Wow. Awesome. Congratulations. Let us know more details on that. I'd love to see your progress and what you're doing there. Daniel says, this is a question. This letter is a follow-up on a question I previously submitted. Now, this is really cool. Listen to this, the sequence here of taking action in a very short period of time. Daniel says, Dan says, I, you addressed my note on August 31st, 2018 in episode 625, where I just retired from the military and I've lost my sense of purpose. Yeah, I remember that. So just a couple months ago, he says, I appreciated your comments, suggestions during the show. I put a lot of thought into what it was that gave me fulfillment in the military. My job in the army was a Black Hawk helicopter pilot. It may seem obvious that I would just continue a career in aviation, but it was difficult to determine if I should just cut ties completely and do something new or continue along a similar path. You made a comment in the show that you suspected it was right in front of me, and maybe it was the idea of protecting people. Ultimately, I came to several conclusions. I enjoy serving the community in a way that the average person either doesn't or can't. I enjoyed working in a crew that develops strong bonds through challenging situations. I like wearing a distinctive uniform. Okay, three criteria. I enjoy serving the community. I enjoy working in a crew that develops strong bonds together through challenging situations. I like wearing a distinctive uniform. With that being said, I decided to apply and accept a position as an EMS helicopter pilot. My new job is right in your neck of the woods in the Nashville area. I just started the new job last month, and it's a perfect fit. Thank you for your advice and direction, and thanks for producing a great podcast. God bless, Dan. Well, thanks for your update, Dan. That's awesome. I love that. The clarity that you got about finding your purpose, recognizing out of the things that you had done, the wealth of assets that you had in what you had done, and how you could bring those together in a way that didn't just force you to continue what you'd always been doing, but really was a clear application of your newfound purpose and direction. Awesome. EMS helicopter pilot here in Nashville. Well, I hope I don't have to see you in that role, but uh, certainly look forward to meeting you in some other context. This I got from uh, Dr. Wes Conner, longtime listener of the podcast, longtime golly, been involved, I guess, 10 years ago that uh, we've known each other and worked together on things. He says, Dan, I have to pass this on to you. I reconnected with a friend from 30 years ago. He was in a conference in Cool Springs. He assists families with children with physical disabilities. After discussing business for a few minutes, this was basically what he said. I have a residual income model where my clients pay to be a member and get learning materials. And West says, wow, that's cool. I've got a business set up like that. Residual income is awesome. 
And Bill said, yeah, I charge $36 a year. And Wes said, you gotta be kidding me. That's only $3 a month. How do you make any money with that? Bill says, I have 28,000 subscribers. There was a pause and Wes says, okay, I'm just going to shut up and listen now. Now think about that. And we talk about that a lot. If you have, if you can address the needs of an affinity group. Now in this case, it's families with children with physical disabilities. So we know there are a lot of them out there. So he doesn't charge them $5,000 for personal coaching. Certainly would be legitimate. He may do other things like that as well. I don't know. But he has a membership site where he gives them content that helps them with that unique situation. It's $36 a year. And you would easily think like Wes did and like I would, wow, how does that make sense? How are you going to make any money with that? 28,000 subscribers. You know what that is? That's a million eight thousand dollars a year. That's over a million dollar a year business idea. And it's one that doesn't require any physical location, doesn't require you to lease a building, have inventory. It's providing information for people who need a lifeline. I love that. Wes, thanks for sharing that. That's a really cool. I would do the same thing you did. Jeez, what a what a stupid business model. Oh, wait, you have twenty eight thousand subscribers. Yeah, that makes sense. Congratulations. Well, a couple other good news things here, and then we'll move into the questions that we've got for today. So here, after a cheerful young Walmart cashier pays for strangers, 110 grocery bill, community repays him tenfold. This is a 19-year-old Walmart cashier, and he, he simply picked up the tab for a distressed woman who was unable to pay for her groceries. So she was coming through the line. She realized this lady panicked when the bill came to $110 that she did not have enough money to pay for that. Now, you know how this is not only a struggle, but it's also humiliating. It's embarrassing. Well, the young guy just said, Hey, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. I mean, he just simply said that. And she said, Jesus, $110. He said, it's all right. I'll take care of it. Well, it happened that there was a lady behind this other lady in line who saw what was happening, snapped a quick picture. She heard the interaction. She knew exactly what happened. Kid didn't make any big deal out of it at all. He just paid it. The gal went on. Well, the next lady in line, having observed what happened, put a picture of this young guy up on social media. A lot of people started seeing that. You know, she said, he just renewed my faith in humanity the generation we're raising, everyone share this so the world knows what a blessing John is to our community. She said, I just witnessed this kid pay for a car to Merton. Again, this is a 19-year-old kid. This is not some mature, you know, 55-year-old lady who is compassionate and, you know, has a, has a good retirement fund and working at Walmart just to have something to do. No, this is a 19-year-old kid who's trying to make his own bills. She said, I just witnessed this kid pay for a cart of merchandise for a woman in obvious distress about her inability to pay. When he, she had trouble paying her bill, he stepped in and told her if she'd wait, he'd pay her total. Yeah, it was $110. If you've never had the pleasure of going through John's checkout line at the Princeton Walmart, please seek him out on your next visit. He's always singing, upbeat, courteous, joyful, and efficient. I don't know John's story, but I don't think he's even 20 years old. He just renewed my faith in humanity and so on. Well, that touched a lot of people out there. And as so often happens, within a few hours, 
somebody put up a GoFundMe page and they put up a goal to get a thousand dollars. This guy had spent $110 of his own hard earned money working as a cashier at Walmart. You know what the math is on that. And so that he said, well, they'll get him a thousand dollars just to reward him. Now I, I, you know, I should, I should have checked this before I went live here. Give me a second. I'll check this right now. But their their goal was to get okay. Yeah, the goal was to get him a thousand dollars. You know what they've raised at this point? Thirty five thousand seven hundred thirty dollars. Thirty five thousand seven hundred thirty dollars. I mean, how cool is that? So that's what they've raised for the kid at this point. Now what he to, now what he said. I mean, he he knows that uh, this is a major thing. He was very emotional about being given this money. And he said he plans on using the money for college. I mean, that's a pretty cool start to college. $35,000. You manage that well, you can pretty well do college degree. Just a neat story. How about a young guy who did something, a good Samaritan act and was rewarded. You know, when you do those kind of things, you know, we don't do it in the expectation of being rewarded. And he certainly did. He did it anonymously and just somebody else happened to observe it because they were close proximity. You know what'll happen? Now, here's a young kid who just got $35,000 unexpected. He's going to be approached by a whole lot of people who say, man, I know you got, you know, get some money there. Man, I'm really in a tough spot. I'd like for you to help me out. Or, gee, let's, you know, let's go on that trip to Paris we've been talking about. Let's just do that. You got the funds. Let's just go. When you get money like that unexpectedly, other people are going to step in and show you ways to get rid of it quickly ways to diminish it, the value of what it could do very, very quickly. I have a friend who wrote a book and the book's title, he was actually a pastor, but he went through, well, the book title is No Good Deed Goes Unpunished, but he was a pastor, but he had this vision of somehow having a retreat center where pastors and missionaries could come at no charge to be restored, refreshed. That was his dream. Well, how are you going to do that as a pastor making peanuts? Well, I'll give you the short version of the story. He bailed out a member of his congregation in a business that the member had where he was in financial trouble. The pastor, again, on his meager salary, bailed the guy out just to save his reputation. Things continued to deteriorate. The guy made some poor decisions, and ultimately this pastor ended up owning the whole company, owning this company. That was a little company, but it turned out to be one of the precursors of what is now like Home Shopping Network. It was one of these online shopping ventures back before they were as fully refined and developed as they are now. Four years later, he sold that business for $16 million. Now, being a pastor and used to helping people with needs that I have, he discovered the blessing and the curse of having a lot of money overnight, as he did. He had people who, gee, I can't pay my rent. And so he would pay the rent. And the next month, they'd be back again. And the next month, they'd be back again. And he's like, you know, I can't do this. You get to stand on your own. And they get angry at him. You know, you got all that money. What's it to you? Why can't you just... He's got a lot of stories like that that are heartbreaking about the unrealistic expectations to tap into somebody else's good fortune. 
Well, hopefully that doesn't happen to this young Walmart cashier that will be able to keep the funds and use it in a way that magnifies his ability to serve more people. See, keeping the money for himself doesn't mean that now he's selfish. No, if he invests in himself in a way that he's talking about doing, going to college, getting increased uh, skills that he has, it'll increase his ability to serve more people. That's the irony of investing in yourself, using resources to enhance your own ability to serve more. Well, here there's a story. The internet falls in love with a wholesome dad who hides $20 bills whenever he visits his daughter's home. Now, I'll just give you a quick synopsis of this because of the time here. But what he does, you know, he, he would go to his, he knew his daughter was, you know, hardworking. And so he'd go there for dinner and he'd say, hey, let me, let me help pay for the food. You know, here's $20. She would say no. You know, she, he didn't want, she didn't want him to do that. But he wanted a way to help her. So he would just leave $20 bills, like on the sun visor of her car or inside the medicine cabinet in the bathroom, just ways like that. She's got a whole bunch of pictures of him doing that over the, over the last couple of years. His income did increase. He was more able to do that. But again, instead of giving her money directly, he would just leave with little notes, $20 bills in various places. Great idea. Maybe one of the ideas that you want to adapt for this year rather than having somebody have to deal with the emotional kind of trauma of being given money directly. I just leave a $20 bill here and there. You may want to make it a hundred dollar bill. I mean, one of the things that I started doing years ago when we were really struggling, when we didn't have two nickels to rub together, I started carrying a hundred dollar bill in my wallet at all times. Now you can ask me, you meet me any day of the year. You ask me if you want to see it, I'll be happy to show it to you because there's always one there. Now the thing is I've given that away over and over and over again. I just simply replaced it quickly, but having it there did something to my mental stance about having money. I was never broke. If I couldn't pay the electric bill, I still knew I had that hundred dollar bill in my wallet. And it did something to, to me to increase my belief that I was going to come back and be okay. So walking through that period, but it's just been a practice that I've continued uh, ever since then. Uh, just recently, I asked Joanne, I said, shouldn't we, you know, reward this young lady for, you know, what she just did? And we both agreed on it. Boom, there's that $100 bill. It's just nice to be able to to not have to go think about it. Gee, you don't have to just put it on a debit card. No, it's just, it's a $100 bill that's readily available to, to share with somebody. Now, here's one more thing here. This we are seeing abandoned coal mines. This is just a good business idea. I love these kind of things where we find a repurposing of something we thought was obsolete and of no use. Abandoned coal mines may soon be transformed into perfectly efficient indoor farms. And that's what they're doing. I mean, there are over 150,000 coal mine shafts that are abandoned in England alone. 150,000 in England alone but they might soon be given new life in the form of ultra efficient indoor farms. Now what they're seeing is that they can use the underground, you know, the temperature stays the same. The conditions are so much better for growing things, sustainable harvest. And so they're repurposing these and seeing that they can control, you know, carbon dioxide, they control all these things. And it gives a really exponential increase in what they're able to, I mean, like hundreds of times more that they can produce in terms of food that they can produce in these abandoned coal mines, as opposed to land that is using up, 
you know, real estate on the surface. I love that. I love the, just the, the idea of what they're able to do with that. Well, just a quick reminder here. We're going to roll into some real life questions. These are questions from you, the listeners. I love hearing both your challenging questions and also your success stories like we're hearing and the ideas that are fueling things that we're developing all together in the 48 Days community. So all of those, you can shoot those in to askdan at 48days.com. Again, that's a dedicated email that I open up once a week. So if there's a little delay, that's why. But uh, those come in there. You can just shoot them in again to askdan at 48days.com. Now, this comes from Bob. It says, you answered my question on your 11-30-2018 podcast. So about a month ago, I was a person who asked you how to answer the question, why are you leaving your current job since I'm taking the early retirement buyout program at work? And at the same time, one half of my department is being outsourced in the first half of 2019. I really appreciated your response. It gave me a renewed optimism in my job search. And by the way, I did make it to round two with Ramsey Solutions. And I'm waiting to hear if I made it to round three. Well, that's cool. Golly, Dave Ramsey, our longtime friend, is building out 47 acres of a new campus just south of where I live here, just south of where he is now with his offices. But uh, they're increasing their staff numbers from about 800 to 1,000. So at any given time, they've got 20, 25 positions open. Talked to Dave just recently about that. You know, they've always got positions open. But they have a very, very... I mean, it's like running a gauntlet to get through their hiring process. This is not an easy process. I mean, they have in excess of 300 applications for any one position that they have because it's seen as such a desirable place to work. So if you make it through round two and waiting on round three, that's to be commended, believe me. It says, now I have another question for you. When I'm filling out online forms, when applying for jobs, the other inevitable question that comes up is, what is your salary requirement? If I can, I reply TBD, which obviously is an acronym for to be determined. However, the last two sites required a numeric value, so I opted to put in a zero. And I don't want to put in too high of a value either. Now, with software pre-screening applicants, do you think that will eliminate my resume before a human can even see it? What should we do when we come up with those situations? All right. Great question here, Bob. If you are filling out forms that ask, what is your salary requirement? You're using an antiquated process that I'm not a real fan of. Now, you'll see in 48 Days to the Work You Love, I talk about taking the initiative and approaching companies even before they announce a job position opening, as an example. I mean, every company's hiring out there. If you show that you have marketable skills, if you're clear about what you do in a way that will add value and revenue to the company, I mean, any company is going to want to talk to you. So if you're just filling out these applications, yeah, they're likely to be pre-screened. And when they ask that, yeah, you're going to have to put in something reasonable in there. And if you put in TBD or zero, yes, those are very likely to be screened out. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about these ATS, the applicant tracking systems that are being used by a lot of companies where a computer screens it and they're going to look for degrees, background experience, years, years that you've worked, dollars that you've generated. I mean, they put in all those things and yeah, they're screened by a computer 
and only if you are going to make it through that. So you're, the odds are stacked against you if you're having to just fill out those online application forms like that. The real value, the way that you find the 87% of the jobs that are never advertised in the hidden job market is to get out here and contact companies where you approach them, even if you don't know that they have a position available. Now there's a guy I just was reading this morning. There's, and I'll put a link, I'll put a link in the notes here somewhere. Um, I'll, I'll put it in where Seth Godin says that there's a new position available in his organization. Actually it's Seth dot blog forward slash join hyphen the hyphen studio Ah, complicated. I'll put it in the notes. He's got a position in his company. Now in his position, there's not a hierarchy. They don't have who the boss is and then who's the office director. And it comes on to, it's not like that. They work in what he calls a studio. They don't have staff meetings. There's just a lot of people doing things that they know have value And there's kind of an equal accountability for getting those things done. It's a very, very different kind of business model. More and more companies you'll see are moving to models like that, where it's not just the traditional put in your application, we hire you, sit in this cubicle, you do these things, and we'll give you a paycheck. The the job place is changing dramatically. So back to your question, though, Bob, if there is the question, what is your salary required? And if you are motivated to complete that kind of an application, you've got to put in something reasonably. So go ahead and put it perhaps the upper range of what you're looking for. If you really think the job is a $70,000 position, you know, put in your salary requirement is 85. I mean, that's okay. You're not going to get rejected because of that. But if you put in your salary requirement is 30, they're going to think you're not really a player for what they're looking for. So there's a lot of factors that go into that. But you can't just play games at that point because it is likely to get screened out and your all your efforts will be wasted totally. Well, here I got a question and... Um, We'll just say Tom. He says, I'm a government worker who would appreciate it if you'd not use my name. There's several of us in the department who share the same workload. However, my coworker is somewhat not very motivated. And most times I end up doing both my workload as well as theirs. What is your suggestion on how I should handle this? We get paid the same and the workload is divided by digits. I can do the work, but really think it is unfair. All right. Tom, the agreement was when you went to work there, that you would work with whatever they had as a job description for the pay that they agreed to give you. That's the agreement. Now, we know there can be a lot of variety in what that actually requires, but the fact that somebody else is not doing as much work and getting paid the same is irrelevant. As long as you agreed that you would work, do whatever was expected of you, and get the paycheck, you can't just say, well, you're putting too much work on me. However, you do have a lot of options. Now, when I work with somebody, when we work in a coaching arrangement, you know, we quickly identify what is it that you control and what is it that you do not control. In this case, you, don't, you can't control the work environment, especially in a government position. I mean, I know people in government positions who you know, work five hours a week. They know it. You know, they read novels and write their own books or whatever, and they know it's an unreasonable arrangement. Because it's a big government system that's not managed properly, it just continues year after year. 
unfortunate to say the least. There are a lot of things in the position that you have now that you probably can't control. What you can control is do you continue to stay there or not? If you're being undercompensated for the value you bring, fantastic. Do a job search. Put yourself out in the open market and look at new opportunities that may reward you better and have more equitable pay for everybody involved. So it's not a system like you're in now. So again, if you choose to stay in the system, bite the bullet and just, it is what it is. But you can choose to better your situation immediately by doing a job search. Nobody's forcing you to stay there. If you really do have skills that are valuable, let the world know. Boom, move on from there. Mike says, first of all, I want to thank you for your weekly inspiring podcast, for giving hope to those of us who are a bit lost in finding their passion and work they love. I'm a professional firefighter, and I'm fortunate to be eligible to collect a pension in two years. At that time, we'll be 56 years old, not ready to stop working. However, I'm sure where my passion lies or what I would like to do. I'd like to hit the ground running. would like to hire either yourself as a coach, possibly the Eagles Club coaching process, or, or another coach from the 40 Days community deemed most appropriate given my situation. My question is this, when do you suggest I start the process of hiring a coach? Is two years out too far, or should I be looking at a different time period, perhaps one year or six months or 48 days? Thanks for your inspiration and ongoing positive messages. I'm so encouraged and hopeful every time I listen to the podcast. Warm regards, Mike. All right, so... You, you are currently 54, two years left as a firefighter before you get a pension. That's a cool setup. My, we had a neighbor who was a firefighter and retired even younger than you're talking about, but he had put in 30 years, gets a great retirement, given the ability to do whatever he wants to do. So he um, organized a volunteer fire department out in the country here in the little community they live in, but is doing some fun things in the freedom that he now has. So if you are unsure about what to do and you're going to get a retirement pension two years from now, now here's the thing, the time to start in looking at what your options are going to be, two years is not too early at all. Now's a perfect time. If you said you wanted to get another job as a firefighter as soon as you retired from this position and you just need to polish your resume and get out, then 48 days is fine. Or six months, you know, it would certainly be appropriate. But you can you can just, you know, do that because you're just continuing to do what you're already doing. It's just a new application. So you can go through that in a very short period of time. But when you have this kind of uncertainty about what's next and you're looking at, hey, two years out, the two years is going to go by in a blink of an eye. Now's the perfect time and a great time to really do the personal evaluation, the personal introspection to say, what is it that I really want to do? You know, we find that a lot of times people find their greatest passion in that encore career. It's not in the traditional career where they put in 30 years and they're retiring. It's that next opportunity where now you have the wisdom and experience and all the value of what you've already done, life experience to bring it to the table, to take a really fresh look. Wow, what do I want to spend the next 20 years of my life doing? So that merits starting right now. I would encourage you to go ahead and do this because this is not just a job transition. This is how do I really get a clear sense of my purpose and passion in life and what that's going to look like. And then what you can do in the remaining time, whatever that is that you have, as you anticipate your great retirement after 
you know, when, when you're 56 years old, you know, then you can be nurturing the new direction that you want to, that you want to pursue so that you can start making inroads in doing whatever it is that's going to be so that you don't stop after you get your retirement and you're just dead in the water. You could have a new idea that's pretty much up and running at that point. You could have a new idea. A lot of times what we do is look at how can you have a new idea up and running so that you're generating 50% of what your previous income was. I mean, that's a pretty cool position where you don't even drop an income. Now you're getting a pension, but you've already made up the difference in what you're generating in a new business and have the opportunity for growth. And a lot of times moving out of a traditional position, like a firefighter where you get X number of dollars every week. If you move into something a little more creative, it may open the door where you could make exponentially more income than that. If in fact, that's a desire of yours, not certainly not required, but not uncommon at all. And what we find happening with people in your situation. Great question, Mike Cotton. Congratulations on the work that you've done, the position that you're in, and the future that you're going to walk into. All right, got a question here. This is about publishing. I'm going to squeeze this in because I think we can do this. This comes from uh, Dave, who says, a coworker of mine wrote a book for gearheads. He uses the analogy of car restoration and our lives before Christ. He sold the book to a publisher that has since gone up the spout due to the owner's criminal activities and subsequent imprisonment. I would like to help my friend get the publishing rights back for this book. Do you have any ideas? I'd also like to use this book for a fledgling ministry. I'm working on to reach men who don't want to cross the threshold of a church door. I feel this book could be a great tool. All right. Now, without addressing the content, you've got that well in hand, but it's a book. The issue is it was with a publisher that's gone out of business due to criminal activities. Now, this is this is a um, tricky area. I mean, I'm pretty familiar with the publishing world. And have seen every scenario kind of played out in this. Once the book is out of print and the publisher is defunct, as you're describing here, the rights would naturally revert back to the author. That certainly is a clear model, theoretically. In actuality, it has a lot to do with the fine print in that original contract. And that's really what you need to look at. There are a lot of legal implications. And you need to look at the fine print. Now, traditionally, I I pulled out my contract with Random House, biggest publisher in the world. Random House, they were the publisher for No More Dreaded Mondays. And I looked at it, it says if, if after three years of the initial publication, the book is no longer in print, I can just request the rights to come back to me. Now, with that book, of course, it's still in print, so that's not an issue. But you're talking about a book that's not in print. And theoretically, as soon as a book is not in print, the author ought to be able to request rights back and get those. However, that reversion of rights, which is what you're talking about, has changed dramatically as we've moved into the digital age. So it used to be that a publisher would say, if the book is no longer in print, and to keep the book in print, they would have to print copies and an initial, I mean, just a run of books that would make it reasonable for them is going to be like 2,500 copies. So a significant number of books they would have to print and have in a storehouse. And if those were not there, 
then they have to question, do we want to print another 2,500 copies? However, with digital print, print on demand, POD that we have today in the book publishing industry, that has gone out the window. They can have a book available if they haven't sold a book in the last six months. Haven't sold a single book, but it's still technically available. So that changes things. And there are a lot of publishers who still maintain their publisher rights, even though a book hasn't sold in a significant period of time. Now, with your situation, I would just simply move ahead. I I think the risk is very, very low. If somebody has gone bankrupt, they're in prison. Yeah, I I would just go ahead. I don't think it's a big deal at all. The, The only question that would come up is if you wanted to take that book and take it to a new publisher. If you want to take it to a new publisher, they're want to know, going to want to know that there's a clean access to the rights on that. Outside of that, to do it yourself, I think you're totally fine to just go ahead and do it. Um, you know, there, this is one of those things. I mean, theoretically, we know that a book shouldn't be held hostage by a publisher forever. There ought to be some kind of an endpoint. When when I do agreements or when people do courses. And if they do a joint venture on a course, typically it's going to be two years that they agree to work together on that. I do a lot of things like that. Two or three years. This is our agreement for two or three years. And then everything reverts back to me or back to you, whatever the case may be. So the the idea of keeping it forever is uh, not really a great idea at all. Hey, let me grab uh, one more here. This comes from Justin. I can do this one quickly. Dan, I know you mentioned the DISC profile a lot, but I wonder what you think about the personality testing such as Strength Finders, Enneagram, Myers-Briggs, etc. Maybe in the sense of certain ones being better at helping us understand ourselves emotionally, physically, and in our career choices. Thanks, Justin. Yes, I love those other profiles. We we do use the DISC because I think it's the best overall tool for really understanding yourself and the application in the workplace. It does a better job of that than anything I've ever seen. Now, the Myers-Briggs, I mean, we can go back to the old MMPI, which is more a psychological kind of inventory that we use in, you know, in counseling situations. But there are a lot of them out there. The Enneagram, we love the Enneagram. I mean, Teresa McCoy, active member of the 48 Days Eagles, she's a pro in that area, does a lot of work with people in understanding the Enneagram. Strength Finders, Marcus Buckingham, yeah, I love that. There's the Fascination Index, Sally Hogshead. You know, that, that we, we promote that as well. These are all just wonderful tools to help understand yourself more so that you can more effectively know what your unique abilities are, how you relate to other people, what kind of environments you're most comfortable in. I mean, those are valuable things to know so that you can, in fact, serve people better. I mean, so sure, we recommend all those things. We're, we're not saying don't use anything but the disc at all. Use it and everything else. This is one of those... Not either or, but and solutions. Well, we got other questions here. Gal, I got a couple others here, and um, I think I set myself up for the wrong field of work. I want to address that. We'll save that for next week. Continue shooting those questions in to askdan at 48days.com. I hope you're really excited about what the new year is going to bring, that you're not stuck in a J-O-B like the song playing in the background right now is talking about. You, you aren't stuck. You can make new choices. Nobody is trapped. I don't care if you're a physician, attorney, a dentist, or if you're working at Walmart as a cashier. You're not stuck. There's too many options out there. You can decide. You can put yourself in the driver's seat. Do that internal search. Understand your unique skills and abilities, your personality tendencies, your values, dreams, and passions. 
you can take that, create a clear focus, and move forward with confidence. So if you're in the 48 Days Eagles community, you, you are hearing a lot of these things. People are helping each other. People's businesses are exploding in there. People are getting the promotions they're looking for, the advancement. I mean, it's just exciting to see how people having resources available to them and the discipline to take action can, in fact, change where they are dramatically. So thanks for being part of this growing community where we are, in fact, finding or creating work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. Hey, check out the free resource that I mentioned at the top of the show here. If you go to 48days.com slash why, you'll get that free resource that'll help you understand who am I? Why am I here? Start the year off with that. Have a great week.